We're going to look at Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13 this morning. You can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, um, so you can follow along. We'll be looking at the first 13 verses in Isaiah 49. This is a prophecy about Jesus written 700 years before he was born. And so we'll read the text, and then I'll just pray quickly once more, and then we'll look into God's word. Isaiah 49, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, in his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be lifted up, or raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your son, Jesus, and for all that this amazing passage tells us about him. And so as we look into your holy word this morning, would you open up our eyes to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus here in your word. I pray that your light would shine into our hearts so brightly, Lord Jesus, that we would be transformed to be more like you and that we would go and shine your light to the world around us. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable now in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Bible uses many different names and titles to show us the glory of Jesus. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. He is the bread of life and the good shepherd and the Son of God. He is the resurrection and the life. And that's only the very beginning. And as we're going to see this morning, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light for the nations. The Gospel of John tells us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It is a glorious thing 
that the light of Christ is so bright and it is so beautiful that all of the darkness in the world cannot overcome it. I think that we need to cling to that hope because it really is a dark world that we live in, isn't it? When you think about things like the hostility between nations, when you think about the hostility within nations, when you think about just the many tragedies that seem to happen every week, it's clear that we live in a dark world. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we'll, we'll have to admit that there's darkness lurking in each one of our hearts, isn't there? We need God to deliver us from the darkness outside of us and from the darkness within us. And so it is really good news. It is such good news that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He came to bring the light of God, the light of salvation, to a world living in darkness. And Jesus is so gracious and he is so powerful that he can transform us and shine his light through us to the dark world. And so this morning as we look into God's word, I think the, the main point that Isaiah wants to make is this. Be transformed by the light of Christ so that you join in his invincible mission of shining light to the nations. I think that's the the authoritative claim that this text makes on us this morning. Be transformed by the light of Christ so that you join him in his invincible mission of shining his light to the nations. So that's where we're headed this morning, and we're going to take three main steps to get there. First of all, we're going to see in the first six verses of this passage that Jesus' mission is to be the light to the nations. Then secondly, in the rest of the passage, we'll see that Jesus' mission will be accomplished. God promises that the light of Christ will shine to the ends of the earth. And then third, we're going to look at Isaiah 60 and a couple passages in the New Testament that show us that Jesus' mission will be accomplished through his people, through you and me, as we shine his light to the world. And so, join the mission. Now, Before we look into this text, there's just one thing that I want to make clear. This passage is about the servant of the Lord. And so that leads to the question, who is this servant that it's talking about? Well, when you look at the larger context of Isaiah, you see that there are actually four chapters that tell us about this servant of the Lord. Chapter 42, this chapter 49, and then 50 and 53. And so who is this servant of the Lord? Well, the New Testament tells us very clearly that it's Jesus Jesus is the light for the nations whose coming was foretold here in Isaiah 49. Jesus is the servant of the Lord who, according to Isaiah 53, would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And so, as we study Isaiah 49 this morning, we need to read it with Christian eyes. This is a prophecy about our Savior written 700 years before he was born. And as the passage begins... The servant himself is speaking to us. This is the Son of God telling us about himself through the prophet prophet Isaiah seven centuries before he was born. A remarkable passage of scripture. And so in verse 1 now, I want you to notice who Jesus is speaking to. He says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Jesus is addressing the far-off peoples, the nations, the Gentiles. This is a message that he wants the whole entire world to hear. We're going to see this morning that this passage is filled with good news for the nations. 
It's good news for us in the Twin Cities, for the people in India, for the people in Papua New Guinea, for the Arab world, and it's good news for the people living in your neighborhood. And so it's fitting that at the beginning of this passage, Jesus is, in a sense, lifting up his voice, and he's saying, listen to me, all you nations, all of you peoples far off, I have good news to tell you. Now, the heart of the good news is in verses 5 and 6. Because those verses tell us about Jesus' mission to bring the light of salvation to the nations, to the end of the earth. But before we get to those verses, the first four verses of this chapter tell us some really important things about Jesus and his mission. I want you to notice three specific things that we learn in the first four verses. First of all, the Lord prepared his son Jesus to accomplish his mission. In the second half of verse 1, It says, the Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. God has a battle to win. And Jesus is the ultimate weapon in that battle. He is like a polished arrow in the Lord's quiver. His mouth is like a sharp sword. As God wages war against sin and death and Satan, as God fights for our redemption, Jesus is like the silver bullet in God's arsenal. Secondly, we see in verse 3 that the Lord will be glorified through Jesus' mission. Jesus tells us that he, that is his father, said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And so there's, there's a promise here that Jesus will bring glory to God through his mission. Did Jesus come to earth to bring glory to God, or did he come for our joy and for our salvation? Well, the answer is yes. He came to do both. Through the work of Christ, God gets the glory, and we get everlasting joy. And then third, this passage foretold that Jesus' mission would not appear successful at first, and yet its ultimate success would rest in the hands of God. Verse 4, But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. When you think about Jesus' life, you remember that he was often misunderstood. He was rejected by the leaders of his people. He was despised. He was slandered. He was persecuted. Many of his followers turned away from him. His closest friends abandoned him in the hour of his greatest trial. And finally, he died a humiliating death by crucifixion. But Jesus knew that his father would vindicate him. He knew that his suffering and his death would not be the final word. He knew that his father would raise him from the dead and exalt him to his right hand. And Jesus knew that his mission to bring salvation to the end of the earth would ultimately be accomplished. And so this prophecy begins by telling us that, first of all, Jesus was prepared by the Lord to be the silver bullet in his arsenal. Secondly, that his mission would bring glory to God. And then third, that even though Jesus' mission would look like a failure, he would ultimately be successful thanks to his Father's power. Isn't it amazing just how much this passage tells us about Jesus 700 years before he was even born? (laughs) This book is so amazing. So all the details that it can give us, the holy, inspired, truthful word of God is so wonderful. We can bank our lives on this book.
And so now we, we reach the climax of this passage in verses 5 and 6. Here's where the, the mission of Jesus is spelled out for us in detail. Jesus tells us, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, verse 5 is clear that Jesus was sent to bring Israel back to the Lord. And when you read the Gospels, you see that this was really the focus of Jesus' earthly ministry, wasn't it? He said in Matthew 15 that he had been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But that wasn't all, was it? If Jesus had only come to save one people group, one ethnic group, that would have been too light a thing for him, according to verse 6. Jesus was capable of so much more than that. My family moved to Minneapolis about five months ago. And when we moved into our new place, God provided a lot of people to help us with our move, including some brothers in the Lord who I think have the spiritual gift of lifting really heavy stuff. It's a, it's a wonderful gift to have. And as I was unloading the, the U-Haul truck, there were some boxes, of course, that were heavy and others that were really light. And I tried to give the light boxes to the kids to carry in. I didn't want to give a little box of stuffed animals to the men to carry in. That would have been too light a thing for them. I wanted them to carry in things like the dressers and the, the furniture and heavy boxes full of theological books and baseball cards. If Jesus had only been sent to bring salvation to Israel, to one people group, that would have been too light of a job for Jesus. It would have been like giving him one little box to carry. Now, just to be clear, the Jewish people matter to God. You see that all over the Bible. It's not that bringing Israel to repentance doesn't matter to God, because it does matter to him. What verse 6 is saying is that Jesus can do so much more than that. Jesus can carry every heavy box, every heavy piece of furniture. Jesus can, can pick up the entire U-Haul and carry it on his back. And that's why verse 6 says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus' mission is ultimately bring, to bring God's gift of salvation to the end of the earth because God is, the, the Lord is God over all of the earth. The Lord deserves the worship of all of the nations and he cares about all of the nations. Listen to what the Lord says just a few chapters earlier in Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23. He says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. The one true and living God, who is worthy of of the worship of all the nations has a gracious plan to bring salvation to the very ends of the earth, to every last people group. Oh, what a gracious and merciful God he is. And the key to that plan, the very crucial key at the center of it all, is Jesus Christ, his one and only Son. He is the light for the nations. And so I want to take a moment 
to ask the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be the light for the nations? As Isaiah describes Jesus' work of bringing salvation to the world, he gives us this picture of light. Apparently, God wants us to understand his son's work in terms of light shining in darkness. And so, what exactly does this picture of light tell us? Well, when you read the whole book of Isaiah, you see that Isaiah very often speaks in terms of the contrast between light and darkness. And Isaiah is building on the fact that throughout the whole Bible, on the one hand, God is connected with light. But on the other hand, Satan and sin and evil are always connected with darkness. Let me just mention a text, uh, a couple of texts that, that bring out this contrast between light and darkness. Back in chapter 42, verse 7, Isaiah talks about Jesus as the light for the nations, bringing people out of darkness. And it describes that gracious work in terms of opening the eyes of the blind. Just think about that. When you're in darkness, you are spiritually blind. You can't see God for who he is. He is the most glorious person in the universe. That is absolutely true. But if you're in the darkness, you can't see it. You're blind to his glory. It's like standing at the the edge of the Grand Canyon or Pikes Peak or Niagara Falls or my favorite, Lake Superior, and being blind. The glory is there, but you can't see it. And so when Jesus shines his light into our lives, what he does is he opens our eyes to see God for who he is as the most glorious, beautiful, majestic, wonderful person that there is. And our hearts are captivated by his glory and we come to believe in him and to know him and to, and to love him as our God. And then back in chapter 49, verse 9 describes Jesus' work of bringing people out of darkness and into the light in terms of bringing people out of prison. Verse 9 saying to the prisoners, come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. Just think about that. When you're in darkness, you're held captive in the prison of your own sin. And Jesus came to set the prisoners free. He came to break open the doors of the dungeon and to bring us out into the light so that instead of being controlled by our sin, we can instead be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so when a person's in darkness, it means ultimately that they're separated from God. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And so when you're in darkness, it means that you don't know God. And all of us were once there, weren't we? We were once blind. We were separated from God. We were held captive in the dungeon of our own sin. And maybe you're here this morning and you're still living in the darkness. Maybe you've never even thought of yourself as being in the darkness. But if you think about it now, you really don't actually know the God who created you. Maybe you've heard some things about him. Maybe you know a lot of facts about him, but you don't truly know him personally. You don't actually see him as beautiful. And this morning, God has a word for you here in Isaiah 49. Jesus is the light that you need. And he offers himself to you freely. Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead so that sinful people like you and me could be set free from the dark prison of our sin. Jesus came into the world to open the eyes of the blind so that we could see God in his beauty, so that we could be captivated by his love and his grace and his mercy. 
The Son of God came and he died and he rose so that you and I could actually come to know the living God and to live with him forever. Don't you want to know this wonderful God? Don't you want to know the God who made you? Don't you want to know and enjoy his love and his kindness and his mercy? You can know him because Jesus Christ is the light for the nations. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you've never done so before, to turn to Jesus, to turn away from the darkness of sin and to believe in Jesus as the Savior who died and rose so that you could be forgiven and so that you could have everlasting life. If you will do that, his his light will flood into your life this morning. And brothers and sisters, all of us who have received the light of Christ, oh, how thankful we should be. Oh, how grateful. In the words of Colossians 1, that our Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Oh, we were in that domain. He has delivered us out of it. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it good, brothers and sisters, to be able to say, I once was blind, but now I see Praise God that he sent his son on a mission to be the light for the nations, to bring his salvation to the very ends of the earth and to save you and me. And so the first six verses in Isaiah 49 have shown us that that Jesus came to shine the light of salvation into our hearts and to all the nations for the glory of God. This is his mission. Now, as we continue on into the rest of this passage, I want you to see that Jesus' mission will be accomplished. His light will shine to every last tribe and language and people and nation. In other words, the word of God is actually bold enough to tell us that the mission of Jesus is invincible. I want to point out two ways that the rest of this passage makes that point. First of all, verse 7 promises that kings and princes will bow down before Jesus. Thus says the Lord, verse 7, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. If you think about the last 2,000 years, this has actually happened countless times, hasn't it? Kings and princes have come to faith in Christ and they have become his worshipers. Now just think about what that tells us about God. It tells us that God has the power to overcome anyone's unbelief and to bring them into the light of Christ. The reason that I say that is because if there is anyone who would be inclined to resist the gospel and want to have, and want to have nothing to do with Jesus, it would be a king or a prince. People who are in the highest positions of authority are not usually eager to acknowledge, oh, there's a king who's far higher than me. (laughs) My power is nothing compared to his power. I am completely under the authority of that other king. It's not something that people in high positions typically are eager to do, is it? But God promises here that kings and princes will prostrate themselves before Jesus. In other words, they will fall on their faces and recognize that Jesus alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him, and they will surrender themselves gladly to him in repentance and faith. 
Now, a second way that this text makes the point that Jesus' mission is invincible is found in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. God is promising here that people from all over the world will come home to Jesus. Now, remember back to verse 1. We saw that this verse, this, this passage is addressed to you peoples from afar. You peoples from afar. Now in verse 12, we have this promise. Behold, these shall come from afar. It's the very same word in the original text. And Isaiah is showing us that people from all the nations, people from even the far off groups at the very ends of the earth, they will hear this message and some of them will come to Jesus. They'll come, it says, from the north, from the west. They'll come from the land of Syene. Now, where's the land of Syene? (laughs) I never learned where the land of Syene was in my eighth grade geography class. I would guess that you probably didn't either. The reason for that is that nobody knows where it is. (laughs) It's kind of funny. The Bible scholars are actually stumped by this reference. And that may actually be part of the point here. Alec Matier, who's an evangelical Old Testament scholar who wrote uh, a number of really good books on Isaiah, he suggests that Isaiah is actually deliberately being obscure here. And his point is that even if they are in lands you haven't heard of, the Lord knows them and will bring them. When Isaiah wrote this, nobody in Israel even knew that North America exists. (laughs) Isaiah probably never imagined that there's this place called Minnesota where you can walk on the lakes in the winter. (laughs) And yet here we are in this far-off land and we're gathered together as God's church to worship Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are living proof that God keeps the promise of verse 12. And right now, do you think that there might be some unreached people groups that Christians don't even know about? (laughs) Do you think that there might be a little tribe hidden somewhere in the jungles of Papua New Guinea or maybe a small group of people with their own language hidden in Delhi or Mumbai that, that Christians don't even know about yet? I think it's certainly possible. I think it's probably even likely. But the Word of God promises that all of the nations... All of the unreached people groups, even the ones that we haven't even discovered yet, they will be reached with the light of the gospel. And at least some, not all of course, but some from every tribe and language and people and nation will be rescued from the darkness, rescued from prison, and they will come to, to, to the light of Christ. I think that this should make us very hopeful as we think about the cause of global missions, and as we think about evangelism. At the end of history, nobody's going to be able to say, you know, God was able to to reach most of the nations, but there was this, this one people group that was just too hard for God to reach. He just couldn't get the gospel there. No, no, no. That is not going to happen. Jesus promised in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's going to happen. Jesus died to ransom people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation, according to Revelation 5. And so some from every tribe and nation will hear the good news and they'll come to faith in him. 
And so the mission of Jesus is invincible. He will accomplish his mission as the light for the nations so that God's salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. And so now that we've looked at this passage, we need to ask one more very, very important question. And it's this. So how is the light of Christ going to actually go to all the nations? How is it going to reach to the end of the earth? Jesus himself is not physically present on earth right now, is he? He's not walking around, going everywhere, preaching the gospel. And so how will his invincible mission be accomplished? The answer that Isaiah gives us is that the light of Christ transforms his people so powerfully that we will shine his light to the world. God's plan to reach the far-off land of Syene and his plan to reach your neighborhood is very clear. You and I receive his light, it changes us, and then we go and shine his light to the neighborhoods and to the nations. I want you to see this in Isaiah, so you can turn to chapter 60. I want you to see this in the first three verses of Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah writes, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And so there you get this whole idea of of the light of Christ shining upon his people. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning, then this has actually happened in your life. Your light has come, and it has broken into your life. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And I want you to look at verse 3. It says, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. That is amazing, isn't it? You are going to shine. First, God fills your light with life with his light, and then you shine. The nations, it says, will come to your light. My daughters used to have glowing star stickers on the ceiling in their bedroom when we lived in Iowa. And if the lights were on in their bedroom for a while in the evening, then when we would turn off the lights at bedtime, those stars would glow. Now, it wouldn't work if, if the lights had been off in the evening, but if the lights were on, something would happen inside of those little star stickers so that they would glow in the dark. That's what Jesus does in the lives of his people and in the life of his church. His light transforms us so powerfully that we begin to glow, that we begin to shine his light to the world around us. This is why Jesus told his followers in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. He actually said that in the Sermon on the Mount. You, his disciples, we are the light of the world. Wait, wait, wait. We we read that and we say, wait, isn't Jesus the light of the world? Isn't he the light for the nations? Well, yes, of course he is. And yet, as we trust in him and we walk with him and we gaze upon his beauty and as we know Christ in his glory, he utterly transforms us as his light penetrates into our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul went so far as to even say in Ephesians 5, 8, at once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's amazing. You are light. This is who you are. This is your identity. You were once in the darkness. Now you are light because Jesus is shining in your life. And so, brothers and sisters, let's shine. (laughs) 
wherever God has placed you, in Eden Prairie or wherever you might live, in your neighborhood, let's be the light for the world. Let's bring the good news of Jesus to a world living in darkness. As we shine the light of Christ to our neighborhoods, to the nations, as we speak of Jesus, as we glorify him with our, with our works, what should we expect? What kind of expectations should we have, really, as, as we evangelize? Well, first of all, I think we can expect that our evangelism will be challenging, that it could be difficult. It was for Jesus, wasn't it? We saw this back in chapter 49 and verse 4, where Jesus said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Oh, how many times Jesus shared the good news of the gospel and it was rejected. John 1 says, He came into his own, or he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And if the world rejected Jesus, then we shouldn't be surprised if our efforts to shine his light are not always welcomed. But then secondly, we should also expect that if we persevere in prayerful dependence upon God, our evangelism will ultimately bear fruit. Why is that? It's because God has promised that his mission will be accomplished. God will bring people from afar, from the very ends of the earth. Kings, princes, some of the hardest hearts of all will bow down before King Jesus. In the church that I pastored in Iowa, there was an elderly saint whose name was Don. And Don loved telling people about Jesus. He loved sharing his faith. He's been in heaven now with the Lord for the last couple of years. But Don told me once about a time that he shared the gospel, and he just completely stumbled through his gospel presentation. And he got done, and he thought, that was terrible. If I had heard that, I wouldn't want to become a Christian. It didn't make any sense. And so he just very sheepishly, kind of with his head down, just asked the man he was witnessing to, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And the man said, yes. (laughs) And Don told me, I could hardly believe it. I almost asked him, are you sure? (laughs) The power to save belongs to God. (laughs) God can use our most feeble, humble efforts to bring people from death to life. And so even though we can expect our evangelism to be challenging, we can also be very hopeful. In fact, the whole tenor of Isaiah 49 is very hopeful, isn't it? Remember the U-Haul? Jesus is the one who does all the heavy lifting. And so let's be prayerful. Let's be patient. Let's persevere in shining the light of Christ. And then let's look forward with anticipation and hope to what Jesus is going to do through us. And so I want to conclude this morning by just giving you three encouragements very briefly. First of all, let the light of Christ shine into your heart and transform you. You know, the, the point of the sermon is to not make anyone feel guilty. Like, you need, you need to be sharing the gospel more. Get to it. That, that, that's not the point. The first thing that all of us need to do, including me, is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to gaze upon his beauty and to rejoice in the goodness of the gospel, to rejoice in our Savior. As the light of Christ penetrates into our hearts and it works its way into all of the dark corners of our souls, we're changed. And our desire to shine the light of Christ grows within us. And so 
First of all, I want to encourage you just to seek, your, to, to seek his face and to enjoy him and to allow the, Christ, the light of Christ to transform you and to shine into your heart. And then secondly, very practically, would you think about the non-Christians who are already in your life? Would you pray for them consistently? Would you think about specific ways that you can invest in their lives? Probably all of us here have eight, maybe 10 or 12 non-Christians that we're regularly rubbing shoulders with, whether it's at work or in our neighborhoods, wherever it might be. And so would you show them the love of Christ in practical ways? Would you build those relational bridges for the gospel? I think that one great way to do that is by inviting your unbelieving neighbors and friends into your home for a meal. (laughs) The fact is that all of us have to eat 21 21 times a week anyways. And so why not invite your unbelieving friends to join you for one or two of those meals? And then just be who you are as a Christian. Show love to them. Be real. Don't hide the fact that you're a Christian. And then just take those opportunities that you get to tell your unbelieving friends about Jesus and to tell them about why he's your treasure, why you love him. And then third, finally, let's persevere in shining the light of Christ. I think that one of the, the, one of the challenges for evangelism is that God's timetable is often longer than ours. My friend Don prayed for his brother to become a Christian for 50 years. He told me he almost gave up praying for his brother. And then God worked in that man's life and he came to trust in Christ. God is not going to tell you whether or not your unbelieving friends or family members are going to come to Christ. He's not going to reveal that to you. And yet, God calls us to be patient and to persevere and to keep loving them and to keep on speaking the truth of the gospel. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we have the incredible privilege of reaching out to this dark world with the light of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you have come and that your light has shined into our lives. Lord, all of us who know you as our Savior are just so grateful that you have worked in our lives, that you sent someone to tell us about you, that you opened up our hearts, and that we can say even right now that you are our Savior, that we have the hope of eternal life because of you. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would fill our hearts and our lives with your light and that you would shine powerfully through us. I pray, Lord, for, for those in my life and the, and the people in all of our lives that maybe we've been praying for for years, maybe even for decades. And Lord, we ask that you would open up their hearts. We ask that you would help us to persevere in telling them about you. And Lord, we would love to see them come to trust in Jesus. And so thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And we want you to be glorified in our lives. We pray it in your precious and gracious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.